So we're going to pray this morning and talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do touch us and heal us. You don't change. We change, but you don't. And Father, I just ask that uh, you touch everyone in a special way today, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. You guide them and direct them. Make your word real. Make yourself real to them, Lord, today. Lord, I just ask you to take away any false concept, any false idea of who you are, any lie of the devil that tries to block anyone here from receiving the fullness of the Spirit. And so, Father, we just thank you. We ask that your name be honored and glorified. And I pray in Jesus' name. I have a quote to your uh, first slide, if it's there. That's not the first slide. Hold fast, for he who promised is. Here's the first slide. Be refreshed. How many know sometimes you can get dried up spiritually? It says here in Jeremiah 31, 25, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Isn't that good news? So we're talking about the spirit-filled life today. And in Galatians 5, 16, it says this, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. That word walk, it means to tread all around, to walk at large. It means to deport oneself, to follow, or to be occupied with. When you're walking with the Lord, you're occupied with him. How many know that you can get disoccupied sometimes by focusing on things that are not of him? Distractions you can have. It means to associate with one. It means to be one's companion. That's all part of the walking. Uh, to live conformed to the union entered into with Christ. That's all tied in with that. Uh, the Greek scholar Weist, here's what he says. The word walk is, it's the act of conducting oneself or ordering one's manner of life or behavior in accordance with him. And so the secret of victory over sin now is not found or is not attempted obedience to a law, but in subjection to a divine person, the Holy Spirit. See, uh, this, this is where religion and relationship get mixed up. So you can go to church all your life and never know God. You can, go, you can do all the things of the church as best you can, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. And so you can practice all the laws. You can take the Ten Commandments and try to do them. You can't. It says you can't anyway. So, uh, and so if the... This idea of walking with the Spirit, so if the Holy Spirit controls the body, then we'll walk in the Spirit. No? But if the flesh controls the body, then we walk in the lust of the flesh. So the Spirit and the flesh, they have different appetites. And the one that will dominate is the one you feed the most. So if you're going to be feeding the flesh, then of course the fleshy things will come out. No, anger, rage, frustration, impatience, all those things come out. But if you're feeding the Spirit with the Word of God and submitting to the Spirit of God, then you see the fruit of the Spirit come out. And so 
You have to remember that when you come to the Lord, when you receive Christ and forgive your every sins, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. But you have to remember that the evil nature is not eradicated. That evil nature is still within you. And, uh, but the power of it is broken. How I many know that when you receive the Lord, there's the, the Spirit's there, and all of a sudden, there's things that you didn't say anymore and do anymore. It just happened because the Spirit of God is working within you. How many can attest to that today? And you're not, you didn't need anybody telling you. No, it just uh, the Spirit within inside was doing a new work. And so, what happens is when you receive Jesus as your Lord, the, you've been liberated from the enslavement to sin. You're chained to it before. But when Christ comes in, those chains are broken. But the evil nature is still there. And so now you can either bow to the desires of the evil nature, which you couldn't do before because you were enslaved to it, and Christ broke the chain, so you're now free to choose. Either follow the spirit or follow the flesh. And that's that battle that goes on. See, the unsaved man knows nothing of this battle because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Before you had the Holy Spirit, you just followed what your evil nature wanted. In Romans 8, 9, it says this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the solution is not to pit your will against the flesh, but to, here's the key now, but to surrender to the Holy Spirit. How many ever said this? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. Then you go, no, you surrender to the person of the Holy Spirit. Then he empowers you to resist whatever it is, you know? So Christian maturity, listen to me now, cannot be attained by trying harder or doing more. Isn't that good news? Now, I've heard, uh, was the, the founder of the, the, the vineyard movement, John Wimber. Uh, I met him, and uh, here's what he said. But what he said is not true. But this is what he said to the whole group, thousands of people were there. The Christian walk is like this. You get a Diet Coke, get a lounge chair, you sit back and relax, put your feet up in the air and enjoy the ride. Well, if you look at the Apostle Paul and what he went through, shipwrecked, left for dead, whipped, beaten, imprisoned. Uh, of course, he didn't have a Diet Coke at those times. <laughs> but that's not it at all. And so Christian maturity cannot be attained by trying harder or doing more. I, I read this uh, story. It says an old man once said that it took him 40 years to learn three simple things. The first was that he could not do anything to save himself. The second was that God did not expect him to. And the third thing was that Christ had done it all and all he had to do was to accept the accomplished fact. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit filled living and grace of God, always keep this little saying in your heart's mind. You can't. God never said you could. He can he always said he would. Hallelujah. And so uh, 
It, it, what time? When we try to walk the Christian walk in the flesh, that's where we get the frustration coming in. Now, I want to give an illustration uh, of a $7,000 refrigerator. All right, there's a $7,000 refrigerator. Uh, I don't know whoever has one. I guess they exist. So there's a picture of one. Anyway, this guy, he wanted this. He bought this big refrigerator, $7,000. And so he went to the store. They had it delivered to the house. So he went to the store and he filled it with groceries. He filled the fridge. And the next morning, everything was warm. The ice cream was melting. uh, And it was liquid. So he phoned the salesman to complain. And uh, so the salesman, look, pull open the freezer door. Well, there was no light. Then he asked to listen for the hum of the motor. There was no sound. The fridge was unplugged. But he still complained. Look, I paid $7,000 for this, so it still should work. And the salesman explained that fridges were dependent appliances. They're not meant to work on their own. And so they had all the necessary parts, but it wasn't plugged in. That thing's not going to work. It's the same thing as a believer. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts as our guide and companion, and the Holy Spirit enables us to obey. So we have to learn to listen, follow, and rely on his power. How many know sometimes that we don't listen? Hello? Anybody here? The Holy Spirit's been trying to speak to you, and you haven't been listening? And uh, now I just, just want to relate to you a woman's journey. Uh, her parents, this is a woman, I'm not going to mention her name, but her parents were professing Christians. The atmosphere in the home was strife, anger, frustration, rebellion, and she experienced depression. She ended up getting married. She had children. But every area of her life was bitterness and hurt. There was no peace. There was no joy and just struggling to cope. She had a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. And the husband had a high position in the church. The home was falling apart with those outbursts of repeated anger. And and so what happened? She got into a place of hopelessness. The husband tried to help. Ended up seeing a Christian psychiatrist, prescribed medication to deal with the depression... She went through many exercises and spent thousands of dollars, but there was no results. Then one day there was a crusade that came to the church. She had her eyes opened and that she saw that she was not a victim of people and circumstances, but she was responsible for her responses. She, blamed, she was blaming the family, blaming God, blaming the kids, blaming the work, blamed everything. 
But God revealed to her that it was her sins. She violated God's word through bitterness and lack of forgiveness and discontentment and refusal to give thanks for everything. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God revealed the root of self, self-pity, self-condemnation, self-centeredness, self-defense, self, self, self. And so here was the quote. And when she realized that, she came into the realization of her situation and was restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's Richard Cecil. He says, the very heart and root of sin is an independent spirit. We erect the idol of self and not only wish others to worship, but worship ourselves. That's what he wrote. That's a good one to write down because self is a key issue. You know, if you want to follow Christ, it says deny yourself. Not a very popular message in today's uh, theology today because the main theology today in North America is the prosperity gospel. God wants you rich, he wants you healthy, he wants you all those other things. That's the main gospel today. But Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourselves. Take up your cross and follow me. And so she learned that. And she received her healing. And she followed the cross of Christ. She learned walking in the spirit. Now, listen to me. Walking in the spirit means turning control of your life to Christ. That's what she learned. She let Christ take control by the empower of the Holy Spirit. And was to be able to experience freedom and power. See, she was in the church with the children, the father high position in the church. Yet she was unplugged, just like that refrigerator. No power in it. The Holy Spirit's the power source. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And today it's being taught as a force and an it. And people get a false view of who the Holy Spirit is. And so the Holy Spirit is a person, is not a force. He's a spirit, not material, can't be touched or grabbed. In John 14, 17, it says, The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. How many know that after you receive the Spirit of God, you, you see things in a different light? You get a new set of eyes. And so this is what the devil opposes. He doesn't want you to receive the fullness of the Spirit. He doesn't want you to walk in the Spirit. He wants you to be, have a distorted view of who God is. And so... A lot of what is being taught today on TV is that the Holy Spirit is often, it's often confused with a force, something like Star Wars, you know? You know and, the, and of course, what they see is uh, all these manifestations going on, which has nothing to do with God, by the way. It has a lot to do with just the flesh and even the demonic and power suggestion. And so... The Holy Spirit is not an it or a force. He's a person. See, we see in the book of Acts, we see the same type of thing that's happening today. 
People are running after the power. Give me the power. I want the power. And if we look at the book of Acts 8, 18, Simon, he was a sorcerer. I should put a couple of scriptures up there. He was a sorcerer, but he saw, he saw what Philip was doing. And so he got baptized, became a follower. And then when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. And then verse 19 says, give me this what? Power. Also that anyone in, on whom I may lay hands may receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And Peter told me, get a word of knowledge as you're not of God. Repent. You're in the gall of bitterness. That's what he said. And we don't hear of him after that. But he, this is what people are, they're looking for power today. They want to be a, a, a power show. See, he wanted the power, but he didn't want to have the relationship with the Holy Spirit. He wanted to have all the externals, all these manifestations of things that are going on, but not having the relationship. I've seen that over the years. I've been with this, uh, how long now? Since the 70s. Seen it all, all the stuff and shenanigans that have gone on in the name of Jesus. I remember there was a pastor where I used to have a church in Ottawa. He was building a new church. And in the front of the altar, the stage area, he had a huge, huge area and chairs way, way back. He says, why don't you have the chairs up closer? Well, I want to have a lot of space here for the manifestations Oh, boy, I said, this guy's going down the wrong road. And they had manifestations, people fall all over the place, and uh, one woman fell on another woman and broke her ribs. He had the manifestations out, right? See, there's a lot of what I call today pseudo-rip-off spiritual artists selling holy water. How many have seen that? Knowing prayer cloths and oil from Israel and all this place and Many people, that's why a lot of people, they're wary of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of all the nonsense they've seen that has nothing to do with God. And so they're fearful of being prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of that. They're blocked. And so... I've seen all this stuff, people waving jackets and uh, anointed jacket where people are falling over and uh, blowing on people so they'll fall over. Total spiritual nonsense, deception, delusion. I, I was at meetings in Toronto. I went there. There's people barking like dogs, uh, roaring like lions, and their ex explanation was, well, that's the Lion of Judah. Total nonsense. You know, and they're saying that's the spirit of God. People are laughing uncontrollably. They can't stop laughing. Certainly not the spirit. Because the fruit of the spirit is this. Listen to me. Self-control. That's one of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control. And these people are out of control. And all it does is bring reproach to the name of God. Even the, I remember I was with Gary Skinner. He was, uh, he was my assistant pastor right after I came to the Lord at, in, in Brockville. And his sole goal, he wanted to go to Africa. And he, he led 
tens of thousands to the Lord. And out of that, how many have heard of the Watoto singers? Yeah, well, that's him. That's his group. They send teams all around the world. That's Gary Skinner. And I remember I, in 1995, I was called to have, to have uh, dinner with him in Brockville, Ontario. And he said, Glenn, you got to see this. It was called In the Name of God by Peter Jennings. It was an hour documentary of the stuff that was going on in the church. Now, Peter Jennings is not a saved man, but he's doing a documentary on stuff that was going on in the church. You know, all this laughing stuff and people collapsing and running all over the place like wild men. And he said, uh, he's basically exposing what's going on in the church. See, what happens is when this... When the church loses discernment, God has to raise up secular people to be a secular prophet, to point out things that are wrong in the church because the church won't judge the church. I've seen that time and time again. You can see it, like Habakkuk was lamenting, how would a, a, a nation more evil than that be used to go against Israel? Same sort of thing. We saw, we saw that today. And... Uh, we got one guy referring to himself, a big minister referring to himself as the, the Holy Ghost bartender, where people would be drunk. You know, and they get this spirit, they're drunken all over the place. And of course, what they do is they take something out of Acts 2, and they, where the people, remember when they, after they got uh, Pentecost, they're all speaking in tongues, and well, they, they said that uh, these were drunk, you know? And uh, I said, uh, so one of the persons I talked to uh, said, well, you can be drunk in the spirit. Well, and then she referred to that. I said, well, look who was saying it. It says it was the scoffers who were saying they were drunk. It wasn't the believers. It was the scoffers. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. Uh, so, see, they got a false concept that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not an it. If you have the concept that God's an it or a force, then you'll have the distorted view of Christ and his work that he does through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And all it does is bring reproach in the church. And so we have to know that, that the Holy Spirit is a person. And the fruit of the Spirit is this. See, what happens is people focus on all the external stuff that's going on to the neglect of the internal. God wants to change you from the inside out. Not to be barking like a dog or roaring like a lion. It says the fruit of the spirit is this. Listen now. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. See, the Holy Spirit is a person and can be grieved. You can, actually, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, after you receive Christ and you invite him to come in to forgive you of your sins, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Well, how can he be resident in all these believers? He's God. He can do whatever he wants in that realm. Here's what, listen to this. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved and saddened. And I've even seen conferences now that they've put out there. Come and party for the Lord. 
Nonsense. You know? Here's what Spurgeon says. In his house, we have proved successfully these many years this great truth that the gospel plainly preached will gain an audience, convert sinners, and build up and sustain a church. We beseech the people of God to mark that there is no need to try doubtful expedients and questionable methods. What he's saying? Preach the word. Preach the word of God. And the word of God by the Holy Spirit will change the lives of the people. Hallelujah. Remember Charles Finney, the great revivalist in the 1800s? He was a lawyer. And then God got hold of him and changed him radically. Hundreds of thousands came to know the Lord under Charles Finney. Hundreds of thousands, a great revival. Then he wrote a little book at the end of all his time of his revival. And he said, and what he did, he said, if a meeting became emotionally charged, he would shut it down. You know what I mean by, how many see meetings that are emotionally charged? Put up your hand, you've seen it. You see that stuff. He would shut it down. Now, we've seen people come where God has convicted them of sin and they're weeping at the altar. There's nothing wrong with that. And then uh, we see people baptize the Holy Spirit while they'll speak in tongues. Nothing wrong with that. But if it becomes too emotionally charged, what happens is that when the emotions are all excited and stirred up, what happens is that they cannot receive the truth. The Bible, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So what happens when somebody's emotionally charged up? The emotions override the will. Because it's the will that appropriates the word to bring about the transformation in the person's life. But if you're all charged up emotionally, the will is shut down. That's why you could see people year after year with excitement in the church, people running around, flopping and doing everything like this, and they get up on Monday, there's no change. Because it's the truth will set free, but the emotions have been so charged up, they can't appropriate the truth that makes them free. Now, does that make sense to you now? Does that... You know, I've seen this for years. I've been in this since 1974. I've seen all the shenanigans that's gone on in the name of Jesus. And so that's what he would do. In his book, he wrote that. You must keep people in a calm frame of mind, he said. This is Charles Finney. So the truth can enter in and that the will can appropriate the truth. The Holy Spirit is a person He's not in it, and he's not a force. And you have a helper. In John 16, 6, he says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Remember the not going to the whole context, but the, the apostle were saddened because Jesus says he's going to be going. Of course, he's on his way to the cross. But he says, the helper, 
says, I, I will send him to you. You'll have a helper. And so for 30 years, Jesus was the Emmanuel, God with us. He went to the cross at the Father's right hand. Now he intercedes. And so it was not the plan to leave the believers alone. In John 14, 16, here's what Jesus said. I will pray the Father and he will give you another, what? Helper. And the word another means alos. In Greek, alos parakletos. The alos means another just like me. That's what that means. And so he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And the, the, uh, the NIV says this, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, here's what James Montgomery Boyce said. He said, any emphasis on the person and the work of the Spirit that detracts from the person and the work of Jesus Christ is not the Spirit's doing. I want, you to, I want you to look at that again. Any emphasis on the person and the work of the Spirit that detracts from the person and the work of Jesus Christ is not the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is to glorify Christ, lift up Christ. He's the one who died on the cross with your sin and my sin. And so the, that's... The work of the Spirit was also to make truth known to us. In John 16, 13, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, here's Jesus speaking now, he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit came to make Christ real to us and more real to others through us. See, we are the witnesses for Christ. What do they see when they see you? Now, we have to ask ourselves that. And so uh, the enablement to live in freedom comes by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what... Octavius Winslow said, a Baptist speech from way back, he said, not a step can a believer advance without the Spirit. Not a victory can he achieve without the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he wrote this, it was only the Holy Spirit who quickened me when I was dead in trespasses and sin, imparting a new life, infusing new thoughts and producing new desires in my soul. See, God's work is that in us by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16 says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so what happens? We enter into this process called sanctification. And uh, process now, listen to me, process. How many know we're not made perfect when we come, come to the Lord? There's, we're, we're justified, we're just before God, but there's, how many notice some work to do? When you come to the Lord, there's uh, uh, some renovations that need to happen. So you call the Holy Spirit contractor with the word of God and he'll start working on the inside to change you so your behavior will change, be changed on the outside. 
How many have experienced that? You know, and, uh, and sometimes you can be a phase where there's a plateau, and all of a sudden he gets the, the machinery working in there, and he starts changing you on the inside. It's a process. It's by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to free you from that sin's control and influence. He wants you to be more like Jesus Christ. So sanctification, I, I can do, you can do, preach on that for a whole year, but I'm not going to mention it today. It's initiated and sustained by the Holy Spirit within you. And of course, it's supported by the body of Christ, the church around us. And sometimes it's not an easy walk sometimes. And so there's a battle going on. When you come to the Lord, there's going to be a battle for your soul. The enemy be on your case. He try to put you asleep. He put thoughts in your mind to get you off course. So there's a war without. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You get the whole influence of the world trying to get you off. And how many know with all the social media today, there's tons of things to get you on another track. Then there's a war within. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So that war that goes on. You come to the Lord and there's always these things. They're trying to pull you in the opposite direction. How many have ever experienced that? It can be, your, can be just in your mind with your thoughts. Sometimes you can get hit with ways of thoughts that are totally opposite of what's in, in God's word. How many have ever experienced that? You, just get, you seem to be bombarded. It just comes, sometimes it can come out of nowhere. You could be just driving along in your Batmobile and all of a sudden, whammo, you get hit with something. Man, where'd that thought come from? Well, sometimes it comes from the self, but sometimes the enemy throws darts in your mind. And this is where the next one comes, Satan. Ephesians 6, 11, you're in the battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles in Greeks means methodia. He has a method for each one of you. The battle that I have might be different from the battle that somebody else has, but he knows the method. But we're in a war. Now, let's look at some of the attitudes of the flesh. I think I got, I don't know if I put them there. No, go back to the other one. Here's some of the attitudes of the flesh. Anxious, irritable, Impatient, easily hurt, bitter, demanding, selfish, critical, complaining, manipulative, wants its own way, unforgiving, gossip, stirs up strife, continuous talker, etc. Those are just some of the things. Now here's attitudes of the spirit. Sweet spirit. Tender. You ever been around someone with just a sweet, just a sweet spirit? Just, you know, tender, gentle, kind, merciful, a peacemaker. The joy of the Lord enjoys Christ. Patient, slowly, a lowly in heart, humble, that means a servant's heart. Those are just a few of the things. Now, it's a battle for control. Next slide. 
It's a battle for control. The enemy wants to control you. The flesh wants to control you. The spirit would like to control you. And so the spirit places a desire within you to be free from the control of the flesh. Here in Romans 8, 13, it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's what William Burkett said. It says, the ax must be daily laid to the root. Daily. How you know it's a daily battle? No, you can have a good day for three, four days in a row, and then the next day, it's a battle. You got to take out the axe. And he says, daily laid to the root, and the knife must still stick in the throat of sin till it drop dead. That's what it is. It's a daily battle. And so we have to be aware that we're in this. Now, how many of you have heard of Corey Tamboom? Put a picture up there over the next slide. This is Corey Tamboom. She was in a Nazi concentration camp. She was placed there, and he said, when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command to love itself. Now, I'm just going to tell I have a little story about her. She was in this prison camp, and there's a book, a film about her, The Hiding Place. How many of you have seen The Hiding Place? Yeah, good movie to watch. And uh, after... I mean, she was brutally treated. She saw her sister die in the prison camp. They'd have to stand naked in front of all these soldiers in freezing temperatures. And then they have lice and stuff running through their... Yeah, you, just, you have to look at some of these things. You see, they have films of what it's like. She lived that, and she was released, mysteriously released. And after she was released, God wanted her to go to Germany to speak to the Germans about forgiveness. And she was tortured. Her whole family died at the hands of the Germans. And at a meeting, she was in Munich, there was this man coming toward her she recognized. He is one of the cruelest guards that was in Ravensbrück and the one that tortured her. And the one that killed her, Bet her sister Betsy, who died a slow death. And he approached Corey Ten Boom. And he was at the meeting and he said this. And I know that God has forgiven, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And he extended his hand. And of course, what she had was she had flashbacks of all the cruelty that this cruel guard had inflicted. And then the scripture came to mind. It says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And she said, I stood there in coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart, she said. And she cried out, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. 
And she extended her hand. And here's what she said. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I tried but did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in me that did it according to Romans 5.5. 5. That's what it says here. Uh, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So what she couldn't do in the natural realm, the power of the Holy Spirit by obeying and yielding to the Spirit enabled her to forgive. The power of yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now, walking by the Spirit, I come to a close here. I just finished the introduction. Walking by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. It says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do you see the contrast here between wine and the Spirit? What's, what this contrast is, it's a question of control. When you consume alcohol to a point where you get drunk, it's the alcohol that will be controlling you. How many can experience I can experience I've done that in the past, my, my quieter days. And then in Galatians 5.16, it says, I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So it's a challenge to yield to the control of the Spirit. I've already mentioned the, the abuse, some of the abuses, and the fearfulness of some to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit due to past abuses. It's a question of control. You know, and I mentioned that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That means to sadden, to cause grief, to be heavy, to make sorrowful. See, every time we say yes to the flesh, we say no to God. Now, I'm just going to just briefly mention the gifts of the Spirit. Just uh, go to the next slide. I briefly mentioned like a speak weeks on these again 1 Corinthians 12 4 there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit there are different kinds of service but the same Lord there are different kinds of working but the same God works all of them in all men 12 7 now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for what the common good the gifts of the spirit it's for the good of all Now we have, we see on TV what I call uh, spiritual superstars. It's for the good of all. It's the spirit decides who, who's going to be healed or how he's going to be healed or when he's going to be healed. But now it's been switched over where man decides. They even publicize, come to the miracle healings. Well, the spirit decides when he's, what he's going to do and when he's going to do it, how he's going to do it, where he's going to do it. Not man. But now it's a lot of manipulation. Here's what Spurgeon says. Next slide. See, we are neither born nor born again for ourselves. Like bees, we must all bring honey to the common hive. I thought that was good. 
See, the, here's what Tozer said. He said, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. The main idea here is to be, to be controlled by the spirit of God, to submit to the spirit of God and let the spirit guide you. Now, another thing that implied here is walking by the spirit implies walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, without this fellowship with God, there could be no true Christian fellowship one with another. This is what Blackaby teaches. He said, when you're out of fellowship with God, then you'd be out of fellowship with others. That's what he teaches. No, you see it in the scripture. Now, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at this. Said so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now they've had some groups where they saying, where they have all this continuous laughing. Say, well, that's the joy of the Lord. Uh, laughing does not mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit. People can tell dirty jokes and people will be laughing. Joy is a different aspect. It's an internal thing. Uh, uh, so the fruit of the spirit, you know, gentle self-control against such things, there is no law. One of the ones is love is one of the first ones. It says fruit of the spirit is love. That means to be full of goodwill, affection, or benevolence, agape love. Agape love gives out lovingly, not expecting anything in return, basically. That's benevolent love. A lot of people, they give out all sorts of stuff expecting something in return. Maybe they want to be well looked upon. They want to receive accolades from people. They want to be looked upon as somebody's generous and whatever. They, they want to be looked upon. It has nothing to do with God. And those things would be very subtle. Let's, this next verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, says this. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Spurgeon says this, he says, gifts may be plentiful and those of the highest order, yet we may perish. Grace in the heart is the only sure evidence of salvation. A man may prophesy and be a Balaam. He may understand mysteries and be a Simon, the sorcerers we saw. He may have all knowledge and perish like Ahithophel. He was the, he was the advisor to David. And he may have mountain-moving faith and be a son of perdition like Judas. Woo, pretty scary stuff. Now, next slide. Nothing. Where's that first one? Joy is happiness in spite of circumstances and there's a consistency in spite of what's going on around. Next one, peace. That means a calm spirit under pressure, inner tranquility that God is in control. Next one, patience, long-suffering when mistreated, willing to accept adverse circumstances. Kindness, treat others as you wish to be treated and alert to others' needs. Do you see? 
This is, the, this is being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. These are the things that will occur. Goodness. You overcome evil by doing good. Next one. Faithfulness. That means committed to making choices that are pleasing to God, dependable, loyal. Next. Gentleness. Easy to approach, even about difficult manners, endure misunderstanding, a teachable spirit. Nine, self-control. Disciplined in the use of the tongue, food, drink, use of time, and natural passions should be under control of the Holy Spirit. Those are, that's the fruit of the Spirit. I just, that's his little brief outline. Now, do you notice that these are inward qualities? And the church, especially Pentecost and the charismatic circles have emphasized all this outward stuff, you know? And uh, at least people bankrupt spiritually on the inside. See, today we need supernatural power in the inner man in this day of anger and rage. How many knows we live in a day of anger and rage now? We're going to need that inner control, that peace. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And uh, so we have to know that we're dependent. We're like that $7,000 fridge. If we're not plugged in, it ain't going to work. Not going to work. We need the, whole, we need the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to just look at some blockages, then we're going to finish. Some blockages. Unforgiveness. I gave the story of Corey Ten Boom. Unforgiveness. Uh, unconfessed sin. Emotional wounds. Some people are so emotionally wounded, they can't receive anything from God. It's just all blanked out because of what they've gone through. Uh, another one is fear of the supernatural due to past foolishness. They're scared to receive the baptism of the Spirit because of all the shenanigans and the craziness that went on in the church. I've had people come here and they just mention that. They just climb right up because of all the stuff they've seen. Uh, another religious tradition. Yeah, well, I was raised in this church. I'm Catholic and always be a Catholic. I'm a Baptist and always be a Baptist. That type of thing. And there's, they block out. Uh, what God wants to do in them. And so these things can be a hindrance. Now, next one, an unyielded spirit. Uh, they have not surrendered their plans, finances, and relationships or time to God. They have their lives planned out and they don't want God interrupting their agendas. I've been there, done that, believe me. Gossip. You know, we're all, that stuff will shut you off spiritually very quick. Anger. Disobedience, fear, all types of fears that people have, uh, like tristecophobia, fear of the number 13. You go in the high rises in New York, and you go up, take the elevators, goes, no, 11, no 10, 11, 12, 14. Uh -huh. But actually, those on the 14th floor, they're actually living on the 13th floor anyway. So. And I want to end off with this scripture. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. 
The Holy Spirit will guide you. He's your helper. He's your teacher. He's your guide. He will show the word to you. He'll make the word be real to you. He'll show you where to go, what not to do, what to say, what not to say, and when to be quiet. F.B. Meyer said, God does not fill with his Holy Spirit those who believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit or those who desire him, but those who obey him. Can we stand, please? Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. And uh, Father, we, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, he's, he's our helper, he's our guide, he's our counselor. Uh, but often, Lord, we, we just don't listen. But you want us to listen to your guidance, to your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, now I just ask you to move in a special way by your Holy Spirit. I'm just asking you to remove any hindrances or blockages now that might prevent us from hearing you. Like Elijah, there was the earthquake, there was a fire. Then it was in the still, small voice that God spoke. And so just help us to retune our inner ear again, the spiritual ear, to hear your voice. We thank you, Lord. And so, Father, I just ask you to move by your spirit now in a special way. You touch hearts, remove obstacles, make, your, make Christ real today, real never before, what Christ has done on the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So I'll just leave the, the altar open if anybody just wishes to, if you wish to have prayer or if you just want to spend time with the Lord. Just put on some music there and just uh, quietly go. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. He wants to direct you.